The thing I love most about covering this with you is that we are being both of us our true authentic selves. You are caring and passionate and like you really care about victims' rights and I'm trash. I want to believe every conspiracy theory. I want to take my video camera and go to the Cecil and find her room and walk the stairs. I'm trash. Look, you were so in it that I came back from throwing water on my face and getting a refill of water and you were like, ooh, someone has her hair up. I was like, I've had my hair up this whole time and you were like, I've been too scared to make direct eye contact with you. It's true. <laughs> Hi, Julia Benzavalli. Oh, hey, Patrick Hines. Welcome back to the Cecil Hotel, everybody. This might be my favorite series of episodes you and I have ever covered. Look, I really love, I said to Mike during the break, I love that we are on complete opposite ends of it, but we're also <laughs> yeah. in it. We're like kind of in a yeah. groove. I'm not trying to convince you. You're not trying no. to convince me. We're just <laughs> screaming into a void or at each other yeah. or in everyone's headphones. So thrilled to be here. Thank you so much. Well, if you guys want more of this, join us on the Patreon. I got to say it again. I love our Patreon. I love the content that we make there. We let our hair down the way that the serial killers did at the Cecil Hotel back in the 80s, right, girl? Again, go back and listen to episode one of this coverage because <laughs> also if you want more, you know, we, we covered the Night Stalker on the page yes. too. So we get into that. Yes. So Richard Ramirez was in our last episode because he lived at the Cecil for a minute. Go listen to that. It's also All Begun in the Dark and The Jinx and Serial Season 1 and the Menendez murders of Lacey Peterson. And Don't F with Cats, which is kind of related to this with the web sleuth and just totally. a whole bunch of stuff and ad free versions of these episodes and after parties and fun stuff we send you stuff in the mail we hang out it's just it's a party if you want to come please come and if you don't we'll see you maybe next week I don't know yeah but also follow us on Instagram you guys True Crime Obsessed Podcast every Tuesday at noon Eastern we go live we call it Ladies Who Lunch we take your questions we talk about the episodes we get a little crazy have your liquid lunch get hammered at noon if sure. that's your thing yeah 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 just hype yeah <laughs> yeah I put shoulders yeah. up and <laughs> Cecil F2, let's go. <laughs> Five, six, seven, eight. All right, girl, what are we talking about today? I'll let you take it this week. Okay, thanks so much. Um, so this is the third episode of, the, it's like this long, it's the Cecil Hotel thing on Netflix, but it's called um, episode three. But wait, we're doing three and four, remember? Yeah, but we're starting okay. with F3. Yeah, 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 that's true. So it's called Down the Rabbit Hole. Do you want to okay. know what F4 is? <laughs> F4 is called yeah. The Hard Truth, but we'll get there when we get there. And I got to tell you, it's worth the payoff. You guys, they land on what happened, and I was not expecting that. Thank God. And here I, I was like, are we going to talk about it? It takes four hours. Ugh. Ugh. So we open up with Marsha. I'm just calling her Marsha at this point. Detective Marsha, which, uh -huh. I again, I feel like his adolescence was brutal. Tom Marsha. That, was that his first name? Tom? Tom Marsha? Who cares? I call it Marsha. Okay, great. Her name is Marsha at this point. Okay, great. But, you know, the thing about Marsha, too, is that he's really, he really cares. Like, he's really invested in this. Yeah. At the end of the last episode, they find the body floating in the water tank on the yeah. top of the Cecil Hotel. After 19 days. So Elisa Lamb was yeah. missing for 19 days, and then they find her body. And, and after 14 showers and four gallons of water that Sabina and Michael drank. That's 14 Teeth brushings. I know. Teeth brushings. I know. <laughs> Sabina and Michael, you poor things. So Detective Marsha is talking about how, like, they have to get her body out of the tank. They, it kind of beautifully describe how they do it because they wanted to do it in a way that would be, like, least destructive to the body. At that time, because we had no idea why she ended up in the water tank, her body becomes a piece of evidence. And I, I feel bad for saying it that way. But we have a responsibility. And... The body will speak to you. 
if they're ever going to find out what happened to her, Detective Marsha is saying the information is going to come from her body. Right. And so, you know, they drain the tank and they remove her body. They take fingerprints. And the cops are telling us, look, like nothing was revealed that that would have pointed to a potential suspect. So there's nothing that shows any sign of violence, no physical evidence found. And everyone's thinking, like, how did she end up here? Is there a crime here? What actually happened? So now it's February 20th, 2013. It's one day after Elise's body is discovered. And these YouTubers and web sleuths, woo, they are out of control. But I just got to say, the person who introduces us to this section is our protagonist, lover or hater. <laughs> She's divisive. She's divisive. She. <laughs> it's so funny because I really love her, but I really hear you with all of the problematic things that she says. For example, after Elisa Lamb was found in the water tank upstairs, the interest in the hotel was just absolutely through the roof. Amy, it's what I want to say to you, my love, is I know what you're saying and, like, having to deal with all of that as the hotel manager must have been difficult. But, like, we're talking about the body of a human being that was yep. found in the water tank on the roof of your hotel. Don't say things, like, through the roof. It sounds like a party. I'm sitting here wondering if she maybe tackled other issues like women being spied on in the bathrooms or <laughs> other things like snipers and stabbers. Like, maybe <laughs> she would be a little more equipped uh-huh. to deal. If she actually took on things head on you know what I'm saying and again I'm gonna say I feel like her days were spent doing nothing but taking things on head on but there's more things to take on head on than she could possibly get done in one day and I wish she'd tell me that if, if her job is like I'm doing the boring stuff like the books and the accounting Amy tell me that again I'm gonna say honesty and consistency that's what's gonna get you on my good side you guys I know you're here for the Elisa Lamb mystery but we are really gonna just get to the bottom of who's right about Amy that's what we're doing in this or, you, you know what you know what I I honestly like I'm thrilled to just be like right like just firm in our in our standings on either side of it. I would really just love to know what she did on a day-to-day basis. I'm telling you, I've already told you this. As the general manager of a hotel, she's dealing with all of the finances. She's dealing with all of the internal like in addition to the stabbings and the murderings and the snipers and the snakes in the bathtub, she's dealing with like Claire in accounting who right. really hates Joel in the cafeteria and they're going to her for meetings and mediation like that she's dealing with that shit too. The hotel general manager's job never ends. It never ends. I think one of my favorite things about you is just how easily you'll take the bait. <laughs> because that was a softball. You could have been like, uh-huh. we've done this, but you're just doubling down. Like, I, I love you for it. Love you. <laughs> All right, fine. Moving on. <laughs> but I got to say, what Amy is saying here is that like these YouTubers, everybody is so fascinated. And I use that word only because it's appropriate. They're so fascinated by the disappearance of Elisa Lamb and then the finding of her body. And then was it a murder? What happened? These fucking like YouTubers and bloggers and like just like social media people are checking or trying to check into the hotel so they can like be where Elisa Lamb was. And we get so much of their video. Entering the season. This is it, the very opulent lobby. Still in the same exact state as it was when Elisa Lamb was here. So this is the floor she was staying on. This is the floor she stayed on. They are giddy to be there. Yeah. And I wouldn't be honest if I didn't say, and I mean this truly, I see some of myself in them. It's not a beautiful reflection like it usually is. (laughs) 
right. I understand. I understand why they're there. Look, it is so they're giggling. They're just like, oh, yes. like you get in the elevator first. No, you go. No, you go. <laughs> and it is just so, you know, they're getting her, you know, hassled by security. Finally, thank you, Amy, getting security yeah. on, on the floor after this tragedy. So, you know, they're roaming the hotels and they're saying that, like, the only way Elisa could have gotten to the roof of the hotel was through the fire escape. Like, she would have to climb out a window, climb up the fire escape, climb up this fucking scary as fuck ladder, yeah. which is like, it goes from fire escape with railings to ladder with no railings. Yeah. And then gotten all the way up there. And, like, we just learned from these web sleuths that that's not true. Another very interesting possibility is that she exits to the left of the elevator and goes to the stairwell that leads right to the roof. I'm not going up there. There are actually two internal stairs. One of them does include roof access. Here's the stairs to the rooftop. There's an internal staircase that like leads to the roof. They say that it's alarmed. I don't think that that alarm was always working. I believe that that's how Elisa Lamb would have gotten to the roof. I don't think Elisa Lamb climbed out a window. We see the ladder that she would have had to climb up for the last story, which literally is open air. Like you just fall to your death. There's just no way she did that. And we see on the roof, there's cigarette butts, there's graffiti, there's like liquor bottles. The staff is going up there and fucking hanging out. And some Somebody tries to tell me that the only people who have keys to this roof door that would disable the alarm are security, the hotel manager, and the owners. No. <laughs> no. Based on what is up there, the staff is going out there for cigarettes and booze breaks every single day and not setting off that alarm. And also these YouTubers and web sleuths who are going right. to the hotel to giggle in the elevator and try to get into room 506 and then seeing if they can get onto the roof and like they're like partying up there. Yeah. So we're about to get back to Elise's blog where she was yeah. very honest about her life and this right. whole thing is like no one is taking the idea of a mental health crisis seriously at all. I, I gotta say like I think that Elisa Lamb and maybe I'm wrong I'm, I'm happy to be wrong I think that Elisa Lamb was the first time in like pop culture true crime that it really probably was a mental health thing mm -hmm. and so like I just don't think anyone's talking about it like I don't think anyone is saying that like she's having an episode I just don't think that was part of the conversation. Yeah and I don't mean, I'm sorry, I don't mean to, I don't mean to defend the YouTubers. I'm not, I'm just... look, look at my face, I'm not mad at you. It's okay. But everyone's going to L like a bad trip. Everyone's going to, she was on party drugs. And like, yeah. no one's thinking, was something else going on here? Because these web sleuths who are, who are bad at their jobs, honestly, yeah. because Elisa was really honest on her Tumblr. Fellow bipolars, you may be the only ones who will understand what this is like. It's a vicious cycle, isn't it? I'm just so tired. So very tired. I don't want to live like this. She ends up being very honest and she's talking. She had suicidal thoughts and yes. those thoughts scare her. So she's very aware of what she's going through mentally. But to me, it's heartbreaking because she is very alone in this. Yeah. And I will also say, I don't blame the cops for saying like, we know from her blog that she didn't drink or do drugs, but she is a young woman in LA for the first time. She talks about wanting to meet people and who knows, maybe she was trying something once. Like, I think that's a 
fair thing to say without sounding like you're blaming the victim. Sure. We do have to talk here a little bit about the water tank and like her getting into it because it comes up a lot. Like people are saying, how could she have gotten into the water tank alone? And they, you know, they say the water tank lid was only 20 pounds. Yeah. She could have lifted it and gotten in by herself. But we are told and we see this clip over and over and over again. There's a cop that tells some news outlet. I did not see personally Ms. Lamb's body in the water tank. So I don't know exactly the condition of the body. The storage tank has a small lid that allows for looking inside of it. My understanding is that lid was closed when our officers went up there. So like the idea and well, you know, they talk about this more throughout was like if the lid was actually closed, somebody else had to have been involved. Right. right? Of course. Of course. Because there's no way she could have closed it from within the water tank. Right. So that that is another like just more kerosene on the fire here with this video of her that is just like, wait, you just want to get to the bottom of it. Then the cop says, oh, no, the lid was absolutely closed when we found her. And it's like, okay, well, that's impossible. So there needs to be someone else involved. Like, I I don't I don't be grudge people thinking that because if, if if I'm a web sleuth in the moment right and I'm googling everything and I'm yeah. looking at all these documents okay so how could she possibly do that that does make sense to me in this moment yes and so they're connecting Elisa Lamb's case to the idea that like in this area by the hotel Skid Row is what it's called that women are victims there all the time in the Skid Row area females are the number one victims I mean huge huge victimhood Human trafficking, sexual assault, and abuse that you see on the streets here is just, uh, it's incredible. Women go missing on Skid Row nearly every day. No one really knows where they go. They just disappear. I want to tell you one thing. So you know your favorite podcast, Broadway Backstory? I do. On that podcast, I made a, a documentary episode about a show called Spring Awakening, but it was the Deaf West production of Spring yes. Awakening. Yes, If you guys don't know Deaf West Theater, it is, oh, I'm getting chills talking yeah, about it. It's incredible. They employ like majority deaf actors and they do like famous musicals and not famous musicals and plays all with deaf actors. It is the most inventive way of doing theater you've ever seen. And they did Spring Awakening in their theater on skin. Skid Row in LA. The Deaf West mm-hmm. Theater is on Skid Row. Yeah. And it transferred to Broadway and it was the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. But I'm just saying that like good stuff happens there too. You know what I mean? And also go support Deaf West Theater. Yes. Uh, all those. And also let's like handle Skid Row. Let's like like yes. pay attention to it and fix it. Yes. Yeah. Totally. Let's like help all the people there. Yes. Absolutely. All of these things can be true. <laughs> so, oh my God, you guys. So February 21st, 2013, two days after the body is found, we are now talking to the medical examiner who like okay. examined the body. Okay. He's a good guy but he went to the Amy school of talking about himself (laughs) he just says okay so Dr. Jason you're talking about he's like I think the most exciting thing about my job that I like is the unknown we get a case that comes in and it's a very big mystery hi so if I had to pick a favorite thing about my job (laughs) it's so hard there are just so many things but like if I had to choose I guess it's just it's just so unpredictable so he's just like I like the mystery it's a wild and he's like specifically Elisa Lamb oh it's a wild card case I mean everything's in play sexual assault murder suicide oh my god it could be anything Dr. Jason oh my god he was very very excited to handle this body he tells us really important things down the road and I actually like him but I was like does nobody in LA know how to be in a fucking documentary oh my god we see this all the time with people who are like scientists or where they have to talk about things very logically or rationally to them but to us who are filled with emotion we're like how 
dare you? Because right now he's like, also, I got nothing. I have no information. There's no evidence of any injuries, no evidence of sexual, all that stuff I was hoping for. I got nothing. I didn't identify any fractures. There's no gunshot wounds or stab wounds or evidence that she was strangled. The rape kit was tested and there was no foreign biological material found under her fingernails or within her orifices. Uh, so there was no indication whatsoever that there is a sexual assault issue. On the other side of it, the internet people are furious that no one's releasing information, right? And the coroner yeah. is like, test take time. I don't know you anything. You're a YouTuber. Yes, but at the same time, there's, and, and I'm, I don't care about the YouTubers, but I will scream this on every podcast I make. It is utterly unacceptable that it takes four months for testing Agreed. to be Agreed. returned. I've said this time and again. Turn every Dunkin' Donuts into a DNA testing lab facility. This is unacceptable. It does not need to take that long. We made a vaccine for COVID in less than a year. We can do anything in this country. That's why we give some of the money from our merch to end the backlog. Enough. Yes, yes, I can't yes. live in a world where it's that hard. Flames on the side of my face. I can't. <laughs> The internet people are going crazy, as as Josh Lyman said in the West Wing. The internet people have gone crazy, and they are just like, this is a big cover-up. And now we're yes. going to get into, we're going to run Howard, run Howard and Joe Berlinger are going to waste our time with all these conspiracy no. theories, but let's go. I, listen, I I love you, and I'll do anything you say, and you do want me to jump out a window, I'll do it. You asked me if we could skip this part. I said, I really hope we can't. I looked at your face. I was like, oh my God, even the delay in the Zoom, like I knew I could, didn't even get the sentence out, but let's do it. But I don't think this is a waste of time. I think this is interesting. Okay, let's go. Take it, girl. Okay. So apparently there was a movie that came out in Japan in 1995 that was called Dark Water. And then 10 years later in America, we redid it. And some web sleuth who's gotten real bored waiting for the autopsy results that they haven't gotten yet, like, finds this movie and is talking about the similarities in that between, like, that movie and the Elisa Lam case. You guys, I was ready to think this was total bullshit, but I gotta tell you, I kind of, like, the similarities are crazy. It's a horror movie about a mother and daughter who move into this dilapidated apartment building much like the Cecil Hotel. In the movie, the little girl is wearing this red jacket that's really similar to the one that Elise is wearing in the elevator video. On top of that, there's a scene where this discolored water comes pouring out of the faucet. And at the end, the little girl dies by getting to the roof of her building and falling into a water tank. A spoiler alert for everyone who wants to watch Dark Water. That was 85 years ago. I'm just saying, it's more than a little bit coincidental. Yeah, so the YouTubers are like, well, someone was acting out the movie and like yes. dressed her in this and then like shoved her into the water tank. You gotta tell me the tuberculosis thing was like, come on, that's a weird thing. Are you ready to talk about it? <sighs> <laughs> Do you regret the day you agreed to make this podcast? Never, ever, ever. Uh, I'll dive into tuberculosis, but you gotta, you gotta let me vamp on biological warfare. Okay? okay. Can we do that trade-off? <laughs> That's fair. Go ahead. So they find out that like just days after Elisa Lamb's body was found, there was this made you guys, this is so fucking crazy. It is crazy. There was this it's major crazy. outbreak of tuberculosis on Skid Row. Officials in Los Angeles County are asking for federal assistance containing an outbreak of tuberculosis among the homeless. County officials say more than 4,600 people who live on Skid Row in downtown LA have likely been exposed. They've asked the Centers for Disease Control for help containing the outbreak. 
And then we find out that, like, they bring in, like, the CDC or whoever to give these TB tests to the people living on the streets. You guys, the name of the test they give is called Lamb-Alisa. It is her name, exact same spelling, just backwards. Come on. That is bananas. I will send you a screenshot I have in my notes. Okay, I'll give you that one, internet people. <laughs> I'll give you that one. That's insane. And this, this TB outbreak happened right after fucking Elisa Lamb was found dead. So that was mine. Now, now you get. Yours. And I will give you that. That is that is a wait. What the fuck? That yeah. is a comp- that stops any cynic in their tracks yes. one zillion yes. percent. But then they lost me. But then they lo- <laughs> they lose me because now they think Elisa Lamb is a secret government agent. They think that yeah. she, Elisa Lamb herself, this woman who yes. was going through a yeah. crisis, who is now no longer with us, yes. they think that she was a biological weapon. So people are wondering. Was she an agent for some government or some terrorist group? Some people theorize that Elisa Lam is effectively a biological weapon. Sent to LA as part of a campaign to infect the homeless population in order to reduce their numbers. And then the government killed her because she knew too much! Internet people! You're off your fucking rocker with this. I know. This is insane. This is insane. This is why we can't have nice internet conspiracy theories, you guys. Because you get one God. thing that's... Big, give me Bigfoot any <laughs> goddamn day of the week. But wait, there's one other really fucking weird thing. You have to explain this to me. We know that on the last day that Elisa was alive, she went to the last bookstore, which is actually what it's called. It's the bookstore next to the hotel. And these web sleuths find out that when you go to like the, like the contacts page or whatever on the last bookstore's website, the zip code they use is not... Not the zip code of the bookstore. And if you put that zip code into Google Maps, it brings up Burnaby, BC. And quite specifically, the pinpoint for the center of that town is the cemetery where Elisa is buried. That's not true. I just Googled it and that's not what happened. <laughs> it's in the documentary. I will send you a screenshot right now. I just did it. It's not what is happened. I'm right? looking at the last bookstore in Los Angeles. <laughs> 90013. Yeah, but you don't know that. I mean, of course they've changed it since then. You think people can't like Photoshop? Come on. Like says like says the YouTuber. But it says Joe Berlinger as far as I'm concerned. Like why would he allow that in his documentary if it wasn't true? I wonder why he let a lot of this stuff in the documentary and didn't actually hold people accountable. I know. You've got an axe to grind with Joe Berlinger. I know. I, do. I know. I do. I do. So the web sleuths are now on a virtual manhunt to find a murderer. Like they've decided she's been murdered. Someone's got to pay and they're going to fucking find the guy. And let me tell you something. No one wants to take a... There's a person... His name is Morbid. He's a musician, right? So there's a target on his back. But someone says like... Then someone out there, and I don't know who, stumbled on the footage of this musician who called himself Morbid. Look, um, someone... I don't know who, but someone decided to focus on Morbid. No one (laughs) wants to take the blame or credit for focus. Everyone, like all of these people are just like, um, someone. I don't... Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. (laughs) But we tried to ruin this guy's life, basically. Well, yeah. So, and we see this guy. Mm -hmm. We are told now that he was, this guy Morbid was staying at the Cecil Hotel at the exact time Elisa Lam was staying there. We see a video of him from inside his hotel room talking about being there. I'm here in the Cecil Hotel downtown LA. 
And then we learn more about this guy, and he does this thing called, like, death metal, which is just so scary. I mean, it's, like, actually truly scary to me, where he dresses up, like, in really scary clothes and, like, shoots videos in the woods where he's chasing down, like, young women and murdering them in the forest, and he's got blood on his face, and he looks really fucking scary. Like, this shit is scary. Yeah, the lyrics, the visuals, they're really, really dark. They're offensive. They're disturbing. They're scary. Like, I'm, you know, I... uh... But I gotta say, like, it's so obvious to me that this fucking guy is not the guy who killed Elisa Lamb. Right. And I'm like, the way this episode ends, episode three ends with like, the internet sleuths coming after this guy. People thought he was almost trying to send hints and messages. Like, he was screaming from the rooftops, look at what I did to her. A lot of people thought, is this some type of calling card from a murderer type situation? People truly believe this guy's a killer. And I'm like, is episode four of this thing going to be about this guy? Did he do it or not? That's what I really thought was going to happen. And this is where I was with everybody else who hated this documentary for two minutes. Because I was like, if that's how this shit ends, I'm going to be so fucking mad. Well, let's, let's, that's a great segue to ep four (laughs) called The Hard Truth. Yeah. And all of a sudden the death metal guy is here. Like the whole opening is him getting into his like death metal drag, which is really fucking scary. And he's talking about like, he loves the darkness. I find beauty in darkness it just resonates with my soul morbid it's uh, my stage name it's the physical representation of my dark subconscious he's talking about how he identifies with all of the darkness and the evil in the world and that is like what we've heard from the Richard Ramirez's of the mm-hmm. world and like the Jeffrey Dahmer's like it is really truly like shit that like I have nightmares about right so he's here with us today his name is Pablo and I think yeah. the difference is he's less scary when he sits for his interview than he is in the opening before the credits where he's like getting into his death metal drag. Totally, but I think the difference is that Pablo makes this music that is not not my bag, baby, as they say. Yeah. I just don't love it. <laughs> but like, he didn't go out and do it. He's just like, it's. he explains it's like a way to express himself. Sure, I mean, some of the lyrics talk about death and murder or whatever, but you know, it's just lyrics. It's just music. It's art. It doesn't make me a killer. That darkness he thinks is inside all of us. I don't necessarily agree, but guess what? Spoiler, I am on Team Pablo because of what ends up happening. I agree too. And we find out Pablo, this death metal guy, his real name is Pablo Vergara. And I was like, please tell me he's related to Sophia. Oh, can you imagine? That's also, it's like, it's like any kind of Smith being like, do you guys know each other? Do you guys see each other at the meetings? I forget that you're not a modern family person. And every time I relearn that about you, it re-disappoints me because Gloria... But I know what you're. I know who Sofia Vergara. I know. Yeah. I know the character she plays. I get it. Al Bundy's on there, and I get it. I know yeah. that show's a fucking classic. I can't believe you haven't watched it. God damn it! All right. Well, remember when you like fought me on Shit's Creek, and then you showed up to a recording, and you were like, you know, it's a show you should watch, Shit's Creek, and I was like. Fuck off. Are you kidding? You know what show I found that I'm going to tell you about for the I very like, first time? I've been telling you. What are you saying? <laughs> but the, here's the thing. This guy who's like a death metal rocker who makes videos about murdering women in the middle of the forest is getting internet bullied, and it's really not very nice. And they started writing to him. You killed Elisa Lamb, didn't you? Fucking murderer. Just tell the truth. 
And I gotta tell you, this is where I saw a real difference. Like, th- I, I feel like I, I came to understand internet sleuthing here in a different way than I have before. Because I believe in the Billy Jensen's of the world. I really, sure. really do. I believe in the body movements of the world. I really believe in them. I think they are good people who are, like, Billy's never gonna ruin anybody's life, you know? Well, because as we learned in the live show, he's a journalist, so he goes right. through all the... And he's from Long Island. And he's from Long Island. <laughs> but I'm just saying that, like, the internet sleuths in this are really fucking awful, and they're not good at their jobs. Like, yeah. all of them are, in quote, internet sleuths who have YouTube channels and podcasts. Like, they're trying to, like, get famous and make money, and they're not thorough. They're getting the views and the subscriptions. They don't give a yes. fuck. They're just no. looking for... I mean, even one of them was like, well, I was looking for content, and this video looked crazy, so I started talking yeah. about it. Yeah, so let's stop calling them internet sleuths and just saying, like, the people with the computers who were bored and had, like, and decided they were going to try to figure some shit out. Like, I really don't like it. Oh, can we call them keyboard garbage? <gasps> totally. That just occurred to me. <laughs> keyboard garbage. I like Does that work? It. It's vague enough that it could be yeah. <laughs> like trolls and bullies, yeah. but also wet like keyboard garbage. I'm just, it's keyboard- workshopping it. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> further episodes. But guess what, you guys? The autopsy results are in. It's been four months. And guess what they are? Inconclusive, girl. Oh, well, I mean, come on. <laughs> But, you know, the medical examiner, like, he's been really thorough. And, like, he's saying... And in the case of Elisa Lam, after the autopsy, we really didn't know if it was foul play, suicide, or accidental death. So we had to wait a number of weeks for all the tests to come in. But then we meet Dr. Judy, and I'm like, oh, thank God. Someone who understands me. Someone who's here to really... So she's a clinical and forensic uh, neuropsychologist. And she's here to really almost not, like, translate Elisa's blog, but really give us some insight about the mental health issues that were happening with Elisa. So Dr. Judy talks to us about, like, bipolar disorder, and she's talking about, you know, people have high highs and low lows. There's depression. There's mania. Sometimes you're not sleeping, and they're erasing thoughts. And she's like, bipolar disorder is still very stigmatizing for most people, and most people don't really understand it. They have depression, and they also have mania, which is not needing a lot of sleep, racing thoughts, being more risk-taking. And generally, the best course of treatment is medication plus cognitive behavioral therapy. And the thing about that, knowing so many people who have struggled with this, the medication is never perfect. You can be trying to find the right dose or the right medication your entire life and never really do it. Uh And so that's what Elisa was going through. And Elisa was very proactive. She really wanted Mm -hmm. to be a productive member of society. And Dr. Judy is saying to us, like, I think Elisa put a lot of pressure on herself to prove that she could be like everyone else. She may have thought that if she could travel by herself and she could have this adventure, that means that she was normal, that she was capable. Everybody who knew anything about Elisa knew that mm-hmm. her doing this by herself probably wasn't a good idea, but they all decided that she should do it because they all want the same thing. They all want her to thrive and to feel normal, you know? Yeah, and for a 21-year-old, I mean, she's been going through this for years, and for her to be so aware about it and to be able to talk about it is, like, really important and really inspiring. Yeah. Girl, this is where we get the story that when she was in L.A., she went to a taping of a TV show, right. and we find out, okay, I'm going to tell you what they tell us in the in the documentary and you tell me what you found out. Great. So in the documentary they tell us that she gets to the taping of this of the TV show that you told us in the last ep was Conan. Conan, yeah. And like she gets there and she's like not herself. Well while she's there she was acting erratically and strangely and she writes this long rambling letter and demands that that letter be given to the host of this show which obviously raises security concerns. And so the security there 
escorted her off the property because they thought she might be a, a risk. Your heart breaks for her, right? Like, I, she must have identified with him or he helped her in some way. And she yeah. wanted to let him know that. And it she was, I don't, whatever she was, all I learned was that she was being, quote, erratic. She was sort of demanding that the letter be uh, given to Conan. And uh -huh. she was escorted out. You know, no one asked her anything. And she was, we, we don't know what's in the letter. So I can't yeah. tell you that. But I know that it's Conan. And she gets kicked out of the taping and just, like, kicked onto the, like out into the street. You know that when you and I end up at some like late night cocktail party with Conan at some point in the next couple of years, the very fucking first question we're going to ask him is, did you see the letter and what was in it? And you know he's going to feel horrible about it. You know yeah. he's going to be. Yeah, yeah Well, We're, we're going to be on the podcast, Conan Needs a Friend. We'll be on that podcast, like <laughs> imminently. Um, yeah, and yeah, we're, yeah. We'll, you know, off the record. And I'm sure he'll be like, I knew nothing. You know, I'm sure he knew nothing about it. I mean, imagine somebody came to one of our live shows, but Steve would never tell us. You know what I mean? Right. So she gets kicked out. And it's just one of these things where it's like looking back, the clock is ticking to when Elisa Lam dies tragically and you're thinking of like okay well okay so she, this this is a very obvious thing that this is a woman in in trouble yeah oh i this is where you and i are gonna start to disagree i just i feel very awkward about it already because i don't know no tell me so here's the thing because what happens next is that she goes back to the hotel and we learn here that this is where elisa starts being disruptive if you remember from the first episode when she first checked in to stay on main aka the cecil she was staying in a shared room with other women and her behavior was so weird that they like they moved her to a single room and we didn't know what that behavior was until now she was leaving these notes on other guests beds like physical notes she was writing go away go home get out and then also when other guests were trying to you know access their room she wouldn't open the door she was looking for a password the roommates would come back and Elisa would be in the room and she wouldn't let them in without a passcode that I she know. never told them. I know. So like she's behaving very erratically and they move her to her own room. And so like we get this story from Amy that like at one point that night, the night before she goes missing, Elisa came down to the lobby and was doing some weird movement. And I want to also say that Amy says, you know, I've never talked publicly about this. This is the first yeah. time I'm, t I'm sharing these stories. But Elisa came down to the lobby and was doing some weird thing where she was like, I'm crazy, but so is LA. And Amy says, At the time, we didn't really look too much into it. I mean, this is the Cecil Hotel. And I know it's going to be super easy to be like, Amy should have known, Amy should have seen. I feel like a couple of things. That is the least crazy thing she's ever seen in the lobby. That probably felt normal to her. Sure. And number, like, number one. Number two, like, I've just, I've worked in hotels where people act crazy. And, like, your instinct as the hotel manager is to protect everybody else. It's not to protect that person. It's to be like, oh, God, if that person is being crazy, we've got to get them out of here to protect everybody else in the hotel. I'm not saying it's the right thing, like, overall. But I understand as a hotel employee, your instinct is to, like, remove the problem to make sure everybody else is safe. Right. I, I hear that. Elisa, I mean, Elisa Lam was moved once before, right? Moved into, like, th this is what Amy does. It's like, oh, the water's brown. I'll move you to another room. And But that's what every hotel manager does. And, and that's fine. I hear that. I understand that. But when, uh, you know, Elise, she's a 21-year-old girl. Yeah. When Amy or anyone else is reassigning her to a different room, there's got to be a moment there where you can look at and see a human there and say are you okay you can ask her a question 
You can say, do you have someone we can call or are you all right? And I, I get it. I, I just, I think when like someone's leaving threatening notes on your pillow, your, your instinct is to ask those women if they're okay. You know what I mean? I think you could do both though. Yeah. Whoever the manager was at the time should have absolutely spoken to those other women, those other women who, if that were me, I'd be terrified coming home to a handwritten note. Of, absolutely. But I also do think Elisa wasn't wielding a weapon. Yeah. She was a petite 21-year-old person like humans i know i agree with you that somebody could have helped her i don't think that people failed her i think that people could have helped her and i think there is a difference you know so i just it's not you i think it's mean of the documentary when the person's like you know what if you could have just asked her if she was okay maybe she wouldn't be dead now i don't think that's true okay yeah, I don't. We're never gonna convince each other. But I like, like I said, I'm like so comfortable where yeah. I live on this, and you're so comfortable and happy where you. And it's like I yeah. don't need to fight you on it. I'm just, I'm just not budging. Your version of the world is the version we all want to live in. I agree with you. I mean, we'll see. I mean, it's not there yet. It doesn't exist, but. So June 21st, 2003, the cause of death is finally released by Jason, the medical examiner. And the official cause of death is accidental drowning with bipolar disorder as a major contributing factor. And this is where the web sleuths go bananas because they've been waiting months and months and months for this. And they can't accept that there wasn't either some like crazy supernatural force or that it was a murder. Like it, it, her putting herself in there by accident is not possible to them. Yeah. These people want there to be a horrible story and this is yes. a horrible story and it's not yes, enough for yes. them and it's fucking weird and you know there are people saying things like I don't think her mental state led to her death that's a very dangerous take we don't agree and some yes. you, some YouTuber is like well I haven't seen the police report and I'm like who the fuck are you like who yes. do you think you are because when you hear these like quote web sleuths what do we call them keyboard idiots or whatever keyboard oh yeah gar gar <laughs> garbage key I even oh god yeah, keyboard idiots. <laughs> keyboard yeah, garbage. That, that, yeah. With these keyboard garbage idiots, like you hear them trying to like interpret the autopsy reports, they sound like idiots. The coroner said that the reason she died was based on the medication she was not taking, but I just have a very tough time believing that. I've never read anything that sounds like those that are in a bipolar state would go do something like this. I don't think that her mental state was her cause of death. It's so entitled. Who are you? You're some idiot online. And so they think it's some big cover up. And I'm sitting here. I'm like, Jesus Christ, get lives. All of you get lives. Guess what? No, they don't get lives. They instead decide to ruin someone else's life. And that's morbid because now we're getting into all of that. Yeah, so this is where we really get the morbid interview with the director. He's like, I haven't talked about this in seven years. And basically he's saying on the morning of February 25th, 2013, which is six days after the body was found, he woke up to a message from a friend that says, what did you do? Why are you on the news? And I was like, this friend is not shocked that you're on the news. This what friend is starting out. was the question. <laughs> this friend is starting out not on your side, girl. Let me tell you, if I was on the news, you'd be like, girl. They're framing you. I mean, a million percent. So, like, the friend sends him a link. It's a link to some Taiwanese news channel. His picture is there. And basically, this, like, news outlet is saying that he's a suspect in the murder of Elisa Lam. This is where I'm like, wow. Like, he really put his, like, heart and soul into his art because the real person is nothing like what we saw on that video. Yeah. Because he's all of a sudden, like, very sensitive and very shaken up about all of this. And he's like... Suddenly, I start getting, like, just hundreds of messages from people from the whole world. We hate you. 
fucking murderer. Why did you do it? I was shocked, confused, you know, because prior to that, I had never heard about Elisa Lam before. He'd never heard of Elisa Lam. He was very shocked and confused. The FBI of Mexico is pounding on his door wanting to question him. Because the web sleuths are obsessed with this video that he made when he was at the Cecil. Yeah. And then it turns out that this video was filmed a fucking year before Elisa Lam was there. And I'm like, what kind of sleuths are you people? You I can't know. look at the date on a YouTube video. You're all YouTubers. That's what I'm saying. Like, how did this happen? Because they wanted it to be him. They wanted yeah. to explain it away. They just wanted like to put a target on this guy's back and that's really dangerous because it's so obvious he didn't do it and when she died i wasn't even in the country i was in mexico working on my album i have contracts from the recording studio i have stamps on my passport and even though i have all these the web salutes they saw me the way i look and that's what triggered them this is the thing I could not get over. I was kind of ashamed of myself because this guy that I thought was scary and was kind of garbage, all of a sudden he's talking about how he tried to kill himself. And I like, know. I know. And he, he said he felt like he completely lost his freedom of expression. He said he never made music ever again. Like he had a record contract. He thinks about this every single day. And it's like, wow. Like it's su he's such a different person in this interview than he is in those terrifying videos. Yeah. This is where you see, like they're not internet sleuths. That's not the right word. They're just people yeah. with internet access. They're just trolls. They're yeah. just assholes on the internet. Like, yeah. it's so clear. Because, like, he says, Morbid says, they go on with their lives like nothing happened, but my life was turned upside down. I'm like, Joe Berlinger, I'm looking at you. Like, not a single, quote, web sleuth that is here with us has a word to say about this. Like, Joe, yeah. force them to answer for this. And the thing about it, too, is that, like, the thing that, like, is never said enough when it comes to web sleuths. Dr. Jason, the medical examiner, is back and he's saying like, all of the background information that's used to rule this as an accident is not necessarily made available to the public. So I think that for people on the internet, you really don't have the full story in front of you. You don't have all of the facts. The web sleuths, it's not like they have some special access. There are things that we hold back in every investigation, like we did in this investigation. This guy didn't do it, you know? Right. And who do you think you are? That's like me demanding any kind of information, I don't know, that that, that I'm not on the clearance to have. Like, yeah. who do you yeah. think you are that just because you care about something, you should get... Like, there are times that we should take to the streets and demand information. A hundred percent. Yeah. This is not that time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is not that time, you guys. <laughs> this is time and a place, everybody. So, you know, as we're getting to the end, like, this is where we're learning really important information, right? So, Detective Marsha is saying that, like, initially the family wasn't super forthcoming about the state of Elisa's mental health. And this is where I'm really proud of this documentary. Like, they take a position and they really come down on, like, exactly what happened because they learn from Elisa's sister eventually. As time went by... We learned from Elisa's sister that Elisa had the history of not taking her medication and several times previously that had caused her to have some type of mental breakdown. 
that she would go through bouts of not taking her medication. And when that would happen, she would become delusional. She would literally see things that weren't there. She said on at least one occasion, it got so bad that she was hospitalized. So remember that video of her in the elevator where she's hiding from things and then it looks like she's confronting somebody and it looks like she's yelling or talking and then she's back in and she's hiding. Like these are things that we find out from her family are what happens when Elisa doesn't take her medication. And we know from the autopsy that when she was in Los Angeles, she wasn't taking her medication. And then Dr. Judy is back to say, yeah, based on everything I've learned, it's pretty clear that she says Elisa had bipolar one, which is the most severe case of bipolar. And you can get very confused. It's very hard to separate fantasy from reality. And you can see things. You can like literally see people and beings and like you can really see the state of Elisa's mental health was really, really bad, you know? And like she was, she literally was, according to Dr. Judy, seeing things and people and stuff that like actually wasn't, she she was very clearly in the middle of a psychotic episode, according to Dr. Judy. Uh, Yeah, and like when you look back at the video with that lens, it's like, of course. Of course. Of course. I mean, absolutely, of course. And when you look back at what happened, then you're like, of course, of course, as well. Because she's saying, Dr. Judy is saying that, like, we learned from Elisa's sister that when she would not take her medication, she would believe that people or things were after her. She might see things that aren't there or hear voices that aren't there. And the voices can be saying very frightening things that somebody might be out to harm you or that you should go kill yourself. And there's no way to shut them out. So that night, she's behaving in the elevator as those, be- and all of the internet sleuths think that this is what ha- is what's happening. Exactly. Like, who's coming after her? What is she hiding from? And, and it wasn't anything. She was like, she was in the middle of a psychotic episode. And so, you know, Dr. Judy is telling us that there were actual voices in her head, probably telling her someone was chasing her, telling her to kill herself. There's no way to shut those voices up. And so she's saying she felt like she was being hunted, that nowhere is safe. We learned that this video was taken on the 14th floor of the hotel, which I did not know. That was new information for me. I thought that video was shot in the lobby. It wasn't. It was shot on the floor below the roof. Yeah. So no matter how she got there, whether she climbed up the fire escape or she went through that internal staircase, she was trying to hide from whoever she thought was chasing her. And if that doesn't, I'm sorry, if that doesn't break your heart into a million pieces, I, I mean, I the idea that she is like the... the the elevator was her only solace in that moment. And then the water tank was. And like, yeah. that's the thing that's so fucking sad and scary is that she gets to the roof. She sees the water tank as a perfect. Oh my God, I'm going to stop. And yeah. She's. She sees the water tank as a perfect place to hide. She climbs up the water tank. She opens the hatch, which only weighed 20 pounds. We know she can do it. Yep. And she f- jumped in. And you guys, it's like, I didn't know. Like, this is one of the reasons why I really love this documentary. Because it, it answered the questions for me. I was a casual, like, a, a knower of the Elisa Lamb case. And, like, they make it all make so much sense exactly what happened. And then the thing I'm going to tell you now, like, I, I could I could sob for the rest of my life. That when she was in there we learned earlier that she was naked and so there's the the medical examiner is telling us i think she became trapped and the only way to keep alive would be to tread the water and swim as much as she can she was undressing while she was in there because she may have been trying to stay afloat and lighten the load a little bit so she took her own clothes off to lighten the load, which is what anybody would fucking do, and she eventually drowned in there. And it's so 
obviously what happened. Right. When you see that video for the first time in the context of like, what happened? Yeah. Not knowing what I know now. And I'm talking years ago, Patrick. Like like when yeah. this first Yo, came same, out, it's like, you're just like, oh my God, what happened? Oh, that is so bizarre. And then yeah. when you look, it's like, this is a woman going through a mental health crisis. And it's, it's the worst thing that could have happened. Here's what I'll say about that. Because the reason I've been saying over and over in these two episodes about like, I don't think mental health was part of the conversation. I don't think anyone was talking about it. Like, all I can really say is that it never occurred to me until yeah. later. And so, obviously, like, it's not worth it. She should still be alive. But if if going forward, we now know that mental health always, always has to be considered in a case like this, that at least is some small sliver of light in this horrible case, you know? I, and I agree. And it's like, I love that we're not spending so much time on the web sleuth. I hated this guy, John, who, like, felt like he knew her. And he was like, I sent my friend to her grave to put her hand on it and I'm just like and we see a video of it like it's really like that's a thing we should talk about like this guy John from like the Facebook group sent somebody to put their hand on Elisa Lamb's grave because he felt so connected to her that is where I was like go outside it's so insane I think John I think you have some stuff to deal with I, I really do I it's like you you don't know her and every time I yeah. see I just want to say to Elisa like Elisa I'm so sorry that this happened to you like it it makes me yeah. want to actually talk to her and I don't think I know her but it's like yeah. I'm sorry yeah. this happened and I hope you're in a safer happier place and I just like I'm I'm so sorry that all of these people have co-opted your story to make it about them fucking selves for the views for the for the subscriptions and all of this nonsense I will say that like it was it was reassuring to see that in the end like these web sleuths all of the ones that we've been following throughout this documentary series did come around to being like yeah that is like there was a lot of misinformation out there. Like, yes. and for me too, I made a lot of notes like that, that one cop, that video that we saw over and over again oh, of yeah. him insisting that the lid was closed. There's no way she could have closed that by herself. So if the lid was closed, somebody else had to fucking be involved, you know? Yes. And I understand that question. And so, you know, one of the cops is like, it was just an oversight. Like it was, he said the wrong thing. And like, you know, the police kind of mishandled this from the beginning, even though they all cared. What a zillion percent. And it's all like, it's also like the nature of the time where they weren't expecting yeah. the internet to go crazy. And they weren't right. expecting anyone to kind of dissect the fact that he was like, oh no, it was, it was open. No, it was closed. Right. It was like, no yeah. one, they, no one was expecting the internet to be what it was. But now that we know, let's be a little more careful. <laughs> right. <laughs> and Amy, I, I, I'm rooting for you. But again, yeah. honesty and consistency. It's all I ask. I would really like to know what Amy is doing for a job now. Like, I, I, I would really like to know, where, like, is she back at another- Hopefully not a general manager of a hotel. <laughs> oh, my God, you guys. We did whatever the hell this is called. The documentary about the Cecil Hotel, girl. Yeah, the Cecil one on Netflix. Right. <laughs> We are the last podcast officially to cover this thing. But I got to say, this was one of my favorite episodes to make with you. I This was a very good conversation. And I'm, I'm going to say it to myself. I didn't think we'd have any fun today, but we did. But we did. <laughs> you guys, if you want more of the shenanigans, join us on the Patreon. Over 200 full ad-free bonus episodes to download a binge right this second, including Night Stalker about Richard Ramirez. Yeah. I'll Be Gone in the Dark, Serial, The Staircase, Lorena, The Menendez Murders. Don't F with Cats. More web yeah. 
Boots, uh, Tiger yes. King, all, all the most of the big cats have been rescued since then, by the way. Yes, I saw that the other day. Yeah, that's nice. Girl, what's coming up next? Oh, searching for Sheila. Oh, this is a call. This, we're going back to the Rashnishis. Yeah, tough titties, everybody. We're going back. <laughs> we're searching for Sheila. And it's like a one-off documentary about Sheila from, what was it called? Oh, Wild Wild Country. Yes. Oh, you guys, we love you so much. Thank you for thank you for hanging out with us and doing this. Stay tuned for our ridiculous and hilarious outtakes and the and the trailer for Finding Sheila. Searching for Sheila, but okay. Searching for... <laughs> All right, bye. Bye. Thanks, everybody. Bye. People who don't commit crime don't escape like that. Finally, you're coming to India after 30 years. Happy homecoming, Sheila. So I got the opportunity of speaking to one of the most talked about person. You know her by the name Ma Anand Sheila. When I was an empress, the kingdom was rosy. Ma Anand Sheila, famous for being Bhagwan Rajneesh's top aide, is facing serious charges of both fraud and attempted murder. Who is the real Sheila? She is the murderer. Out of the very burden of all the crimes that she has done, she will suffer her whole life. World sees me from their point of view. A young girl from Gujarat who made it very, very big. I had a number of hardships after I left Bhagwan, but history is not written for my part. It is Bhagwan's history, not Sheila's history. But he did not stand by you. He called you a criminal. This disturbs me and I want you to be angry. Why aren't you angry? I cannot satisfy you. No more questions, Sheila? Sheila, why did you stop the interview? I'm just as much a human as any person here. Sheila the Terrible, Sheila the Charmer. I'm not the same person you think I am. whole dark water bullshit about that it was a, the move like part of the movie or do you want to get into it let's get into it your face I we really gotta do it now <laughs> look I, i'm happy to talk about jennifer connelly any which way i can i lost you and it yeah. seemed like i hung up on you but i swear to god i did because i was like i'm not budging you're not budging it's okay and then it was blank and i was like well you can hear it in the audio i was like oh Oh my God, I thought you went missing. I got really worried about you for a minute. Girl, you think if we were doing a true crime podcast for 8,000 years and I wasn't like, remember that time I went missing? Guess what? I, I didn't go to Canada. I didn't have an identity. I just wanted a, like a week off. The last time we went to the public, we set off an international firestorm of conspiracy theories. It's like a wildfire of bullshit. But isn't it a little interesting? No! <laughs> 